is that there's no mention of the name of God. It's, it's just not mentioned, no mention of prayer, of worship. Um, it's, it's like silent or hidden through the book of Esther, very unique in all the books of the Bible, that, that the word God, the name God, Yahweh, Lord, not mentioned at all, no mention of a prayer, no mention of worship, no, um, and, and we see, we talked about last week, part of what we learned through Esther is the providence of God. We have the, um, the obvious hand of God, like if you have a miracle, that's, people can see that, that's the seeing God working, but um, through our Bibles as we study them and the way God works is that half of what, or most of, a lot of what God is doing is providential, and it's the unseen hand of God working. And it's just as much of a miracle as Jesus touched the eyes of somebody who was blind and then they could see. It's no less of a miracle. It's just unseen. We don't see it. But it's, it's almost that much more powerful when we, um, when, we, when we understand that God is providentially working um, in all of our lives. The Bible says God is sovereign over those things. So we see this in the, in the book of Esther. And so um, we got last week, just kind of by way of catch-up, that um, King Ahasuerus, we know as Artaxerxes, is the same um, kind of popular Xerxes of the Medo-Persian Empire because he was the one that, um, the movie 300, he was in that movie, and um, several other movies and games have been made around this time period that, that Artaxerxes of history, he was at the end of the Medo-Persian Empire, which was eventually conquered by the Grecian Empire. And so they went back and forth for a while, and Medo-Persia beat Greece for uh, many years. And then eventually, the Grecian Empire conquered Medo-Persia. So as we pick up in chapter 2, that's kind of right where it is. There's a four-year gap between 1 and 2. In chapter 1, if you remember, it was a season of partying, and they threw a 180-day party, um, or 160-day party, I forget exactly, but it was in there, and he had 127 provinces that he oversaw from Ethiopia to India that the Persian, Medo-Persian Empire um, ruled over, and you remember, it was just this opulent party, he said, all the drink you want, but it wasn't compulsory, you could drink or you could not drink, and then at the end of this party of 127 important provinces and people of those provinces, do you remember how it happened? What he did when the party was over, and you remember what he did? He said, I got an idea. We've just been partying for like six months straight, drinking everything we can drink. Let's throw a 30-day party. So he throws, that's exactly what happens. He throws a second party, a 30-day party. But this time he says, rather than just the dignitaries being invited, let's open up this last 30 days to everybody. And then it says, when the king was um, merry with wine, he was twisted. He was drunk. He was wasted. He got all drunk, and he said, you know what? My wife is really impressive to look at. And so he said, go get my wife and have her come in here. And, and show everybody how beautiful she is. Now, it doesn't say, but it's um, maybe possible that he, he, he wanted her to come in naked or partially naked or show herself off or do something. or n No matter what, what the occasion was, it was undignified, and he wanted to parade her in front of the people, and she refused, which was absolutely unheard of. That, that at the very whim of the king, you know, it was one of those off-with-your-head type situations if the king wanted it. And she refused to come. And so when she refused to come, the men of the, of the Persian court, they, they begin to panic. And they're like, if word gets out that your wife wouldn't obey you, no chance my wife's going to obey me. 
And so they talked the king into passing a law that made it compulsory for wives to submit to their husbands, according to the Medo-Persian law. Now, if you'll remember, it's kind of, kind of key to the story that the, the Babylonian Empire and Daniel's t- statue of Daniel's dream, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the head of gold, that was um, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. In Babylon, in, in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was a god of, a king of God, a god-type king. Basically, anything he said was law. He could change it in a minute. He could do anything he wanted to with no restraints, no government um, parameters or um, accountability. The Medo-Persian Empire was a little bit less, the chest and arms of silver. And, and in Medo-Persia, the law was that the Medo-Persian law superseded the, the whims of the king. Now, the king made laws, but once it became official Medo-Persian law, the king couldn't trumpet at that point. Nebuchadnezzar had that power, but um, Artaxerxes did not because the, Medo, the law of the Medo-Persians was first. And so they passed this law. Do you remember where we left off was with the Pony Express? And what was impressive from history was that they had um, a Pony Express type of setup where they could get word out from Ethiopia to India, horse stations, um, every 14 refueling stations, every 14 miles. Um, so they had them uh, Tesla electric like plug-in things. They could plug the horses in after 14 miles and then they could get off, get on a fresh horse, word could travel. So they're spreading the word about this new law that Nebuchadnezzar, or not Nebuchadnezzar, that Artaxerxes just passed that says, wives, you have to make your husband a sandwich when he says so. We made a little bit of fun of it last week. We had a little fun with it, but that was the law. Um, So then in chapter 2, it says, after these things. Now, what happened was after he left his wife, he left Vashti um, because she wouldn't do that. He divorces her, and whether he killed her or just got rid of her or just put her um, with the rest of the harem and um, never to be seen again, he went to war. And so Artaxerxes, again, this is in a period where um, the Persian Empire is warring, the Grecian Empire is growing, and they're, um, they're, they're, they're battling. Well, he had, he had been to war for four years with some victories and some mostly defeats. He didn't do good in these battles. And so he had finally come home after a four-year um, war re, uh, uh, rampage with Greece. They lost many of those battles. And then it says, When the wrath of King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Now, it says he remembered what she had done. Uh, I think it was more what he did, right? Like he was drunk. Maybe he sobered up and he's like, you know, realizing that you make bad decisions when you're sober. You know, or when you're sober, no. <laughs> when you're drunk. You make bad decisions when you're drunk. That's what alcohol does. It's, a, it's, an, it's an inhibition blocker and it, 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 you know, you just make bad decisions. So he was drunk and, uh, and so he's, Still putting it on her though, or he's. Re- I wonder if there's a little, little kind of uh, maybe regret in his heart. She was beautiful, and he had loved her, and um, but now it's been four years, and so he just busied himself with work and war, and now, now he's home, and things have settled down, and he's, he's considering it. And then the king's servants who attended him said, "We now this is not in the text, but basically what's going on is he, they said, you know, we can see, king, that you're upset, you're missing Vashti. Let's solve this for you." You know, let, let's, let's figure out how to replace Vashti. Um, they probably didn't want him to, you know, because what would have happened is his heart would have, you know, went towards his wife, his ex-wife at this point, and then he would have started taking that aggression out on the men who talked him into 
um, putting her out for divorce. And so they are trying to cover their own skins. And they say, we got an idea, verse 2. Let beautiful young virgins be brought before the king. She sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in the provinces of the kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, into the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let, her be- let, and let beauty preparations be given them. And then let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti, the things please the king as he did also. You know, the, um, the, the, the producers and the inventors of that TV show, The Bachelor, they were reading this chapter, and they came up with this idea. Um, they, they thought that was an original idea, but it was an idea. It's exactly what it was. It was the king and all of these girls that would be suitors. And basically what they're going to do is they're going to set up a, a, a competition for the king to, you know, have all these women and, and then eventually pick one that he chooses to be the new bride. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, this wouldn't have been a, it was compulsory on the part of the, the women. They had to do it. If So if the producers came and um, they tapped you on the shoulder and they said, hey, you're in the new show, it wasn't like, oh, no, I don't want to be a part of that. And it wasn't, it was really, you know, this is, again, w- what we ended last week. And I teased a bunch at the end of the service last week. It was really lighthearted, you know, like because it was the law and ladies, you had to make a sandwich and then encouraged you that, you know, our king doesn't treat us this way. But it really was, it was very pagan, and it was really wicked what was going on. Because basically what would happen is um, the ki- they would have all of these women, hundreds of women, and they would get one night with the king to try to impress him. They were given anything they wanted to, to take in as a gift, as props, whatever they wanted. The king would spend the night with them. Um, it was inferred, and whether he did every night or not, but that he would sleep with these women. And then, um, then they would go back into the harem and, until he called on them again. But after that first night, um, they were considered married. So they, could, they couldn't have a relationship with another man the rest of their lives. So you may get one night with the king, and many of them, hundreds of them, would have never seen the king again and lived a, a very lonely life the rest of their lives and, and stuck in the harem, stuck in the king's, as the king's concubines with no access to the king and no relationship with the king. And so very tragic in, in the loneliness and very pagan in how their lives would have ended up if they got called to be a part of this and the king. And there was only going to be one of them that, you know, will there be the wife? I mean, I'm sure he had access and even by law and morally, according to them, you know, he could access his, his concubines as often as he liked. But when there's just hundreds and hundreds of them, you know, it's, it's undoubtedly that so many of these women just lived um, their whole lives and never seen him again. And then in verse five, it sa- or verse six, it says, um, five in Shushan the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai. You remember what we're supposed to say when you hear Mordecai? Yay! Mordecai's the good guy. Mordecai's yay. Um, um, Haman, boo, and Esther. Ah, oh, you guys got it. Very good. Very good. Verse six. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther. And so Esther is our um, yay, and she, or I'm sorry, ah, and she's going to be the, the hero of the story. His uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, the young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and her mother died, Mordecai 
took her as his own daughter. So it would have been Mordecai's cousin. It would have been Mordecai's sibling's daughter. They both died, and Mordecai raises her, and so she's, um, she's raised by her uncle. And it says, and again, we highlighted this with Vashti because the Holy Spirit recorded this of Vashti, and now he records it of Esther, that she was lovely and beautiful. And so again, you know, the, the, the Bible doesn't exaggerate, and so when the Holy Spirit calls you beautiful, she, she was uh, a beautiful woman. But what we'll find um, about Esther and, and what I want to just talk about a little bit tonight is that Esther was beautiful on the inside and the outside, and that is God's call for, um, for us as Christ followers, that it's inner beauty that, that's valuable. And in verse 8, it says, So it was when the king commanded and decree were heard, and when, when many, young, many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Um, some people, I've heard a pastor be very critical of uh, Mordecai, her uncle, at this point now. I'm not really there, but he's like, what, what was Mordecai doing in this moment? This would not have necessarily in this moment been a positive thing. Again, this was for 99.9% of those that were called was a sentence to a life of destitute loneliness. And, and why did Mordecai protect her or keep her from this? And not that he had really opportunity to do that because they had a plan, but um, bold faith anyways, if, if they knew the plan from the beginning and went in knowing that they were going to win the bachelor competition. In verse 9 it says, now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her. Besides her allowance, then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and made and her maidservants to the best place of the house of women. Now, I could get used to that, I guess. Seven servants, like, you know, one's clipping your nails and... One's doing your eyes, and one's doing your hair, and one's picking out your outfit, and one's massaging your feet, and, you know, she was pampered at least, you know, and so she has seven servants um, that are tending to her, and it says, Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. So what was she keeping? That she was Jewish. Now, again, I'm, I guess maybe just in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, but Mordecai's choice and wisdom was he told his niece, you know, don't reveal your, and I guess, you know, again, it's not a lie. It's just not revealing information. And so she didn't tell anybody because Mordecai told her not to, that she was Jewish. Nor did the king would have Xerxes not have had been privy to that information either. And verse 11, it says, and every day Mordecai, yay, paced in front of the court of the women to learn from Esther welfare and what was happening to her. So no doubt he was concerned that, that we do have commentary. I, I spoke the other comment out of silence from the Bible, but here we have some commentary that Mordecai loves his niece. He's concerned about what she's doing. You know, like we do as parents, you know, your kids aren't home and you're pacing. When, when are they going to get home? And um, I guess we don't have to pace too much anymore, right? I guess when I was a kid, my mom would have paced, but today we just check the cell phone but blue button to find out where they're at, you know, and how far from home they're going to be. And yes, there is no problem with you keeping location on your kids, on their cell phones. That is not a fringe of privacy. They can, I tell my kids, you can have all the privacy you want the day you move out of my house. 
Verse 11 says, and every day, oh, I'm sorry, verse 12 says, each young woman's turn came. Sad, sad moment here. Each, each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus, and after she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulations for the women, for thus were the days of, her, of their preparation appointed, six months with oil and myrrh, six months with perfumes, and preparations for beautifying the women. Now, men, if your wife takes long time to get ready, I don't want to hear it anymore. These women took 12 months to get ready. You want to be late for dinner, six months with oil and then six months with myrrh? Like, what do they smell, like camels or something? And they just had to take that six months worth of oils and perfumes to get these ladies clean? But again, you know, this is, this is royalty stuff, right? And so the king spares no expense. And they're pampered and they're treated and they're in the spa every day for six months preparing them. So 12 months, six months in two different phases, preparing them for one night with the king. So they have every opportunity to win. There's no, um, you know, it's, it's on the up and ups as far as that goes that, you know, you've been given every opportunity to succeed. So they're being pampered. Everything is being perfect. Hair, nails, everything is being done exactly perfect. And 12 months in this cosmetic school of getting ready. And then it says in verse 13, And thus prepared, each young woman went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's place. And so I'm not, I'm not really sure what that entails, whether they were gifts, whether they were certain clothing and dresses and, and hair stuff, and, but whatever was available... She had a choice, and that was the way the competition worked, was when it was your turn, you were given carte blanche to take into the king and wear to the king or have with your, your one-night visit with the king whatever you wanted. <clears throat> and then in verse 14, it says, um, In the evening she went in, and in the morning... Did I miss 13? Nope. In the, in the evening she went in, and in the morning, she returned to the second house of the women. So that was it. You went in in the evening, you spent the night, and in the morning, you returned to the second house of the king. The first eunuch was on charge of them before they went in and preparing them and overseeing all the spa days every day. And then you didn't return to the preparation house after you went into the king. You returned to the second house, and they're going to give us the name of a second eunuch who was in charge of all the women who were... Um, had already posted into the king. And once you're on that side of the house, you're now a um, property of the king and, and no other, you know, you can't get married again. Nobody else, if another man touches you, whether the king even remembers your name or not, it doesn't matter. It's death sentence. And so you're there in the other side in the custody of the house of the women. To the custody, oh, here's the second guy, Shaz Kagaz, the king's eunuch who kept the concubines. She would go in into the king again. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. And then now when the turn came for Esther, ah, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So, um, again, I love this little um, wisdom and tidbit of, of Esther. And, again, you know, how are you going to compete 
with all of these beautiful women and all of this competition. And I think Esther understood um, and had the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that no matter what she brought in, if she wore a boa and high heels or whatever she did, that that was not what was going to separate her from the rest of these women, that the, the king had to have the ability to see something deeper in her, something that was more of character in her. Now, ladies, as you know, um, you have a, a really high um, call or standard. You know, I think sometimes we read this and we're like, oh, really, Lord? But let me share with you guys, if you're not familiar, Proverbs 31 is called the virtuous woman, right? And so the virtuous wife, and listen to the virtuous wife according to God's standards. But I think, again, Esther understood this, and, and this is where she is, and this is what it says. It says, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Now, I'm going to read through this, but I, but I want you to pay attention that in Proverbs 31 with the virtuous wife, in, in Esther, the word beautiful, um, lovely, multiple times we've already read it about Vashti, about Esther, but no mention anywhere of the Proverbs wife has anything to do with her outward beauty. These are conditions of the heart. You know, the New Testament says, don't let your adorning merely be outward, but let it be inward. And there's no, pro no prohibition in the Bible for adorning yourselves outwardly. You know, they did that here. And then, again, that was pagan culture. But even in the New Testament, God says, he doesn't, he doesn't forbid adornment. He just says, as you adorn yourselves, ladies, don't let it, don't focus only on the outward adornment, that let it be a condition of the heart. And let God work on the character of your heart. And that's, again, that was the, um, we're going to see Esther's going to win the bachelor competition. And, and I think this is the purpose and the reason for it is because she, you know, of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but the king definitely saw personality and compassion and something deeper in her character that set her apart from, you know, just another one of the ladies. But, but notice here in Proverbs 31, no mention of, of outward beauty. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flask and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises up while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strength, strength strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the, dis to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, yet she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household. That's a good thing if she's living in Utah. For her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes lean garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of the idleness. Her, I love this one. This is the verse right here. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. And then again, the only mention here, but not really of, of, of the virtuous woman, the virtuous wife, I'm sorry, but it says charm and deceit. Charm is deceitful, 
and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her work praise her in the gates. First Peter um, chapter 1, I, I referenced it, but I'll just read it to you guys. First Peter chapter 1 in verses 3 through 4. Sorry, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, knowing this first. That's 2 Peter. That's why it's not making sense. 1 Peter 3. Ladies, let not your adornment be merely outward, arranging of hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious.